Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This week kicks off our brand new teaching series, Big Deal. Here at Valley Point, there are some things that are a big deal to us. We describe them as our faith catalysts. These are the things that drive us as a faith community. These are the things that are at the core of how we function. It's what we celebrate. Join Valley Point Church throughout the month of November as we look at each of these three faith catalysts. Big deal. This is the name of the series that we're in right now, and we're simply saying that there are a few things, there are a few items that are a big deal to us as a church, and we're describing them as our faith catalysts. And we're saying, let's be sure that we give our attention to these things. Let's be sure that we give our time to these items. And so today we're going to look at faith catalyst number three, and I'm really excited about sharing this with you and believe that God has a word for each and every one of us. So before we look at that particular catalyst, let's just pause and ask God to challenge us. Will you pray with me? Father, we step into your presence now and we're grateful for this day. Just another opportunity to humble ourselves and to consider what you want to say to us through your word. God, I pray that you'd help us to be alert and awake and just ready to respond to whatever it is that you whisper into our hearts. God, I thank you so much for everyone that is here today. And again, I think you've got something that you want to say to each and every one of us. So God, just help us to listen, help us to have ears that are alert and hearts that are attentive to the words that you want to speak into our lives today. And God, may we be ready when we walk out in just a few moments to do whatever it is that you've planted into our hearts. God, I pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So just to review, here's what we've said so far. And I do want to say, even if you're not into God and Jesus and the Bible and the church, like you're just not there yet, that's okay. I believe these faith catalysts are good things, and I would encourage you to give them a shot in your life and just see what happens. So let's review these first couple of catalysts. Number one is embrace people, and here's what that means. We welcome, include, and love people without expecting anything in return, and we deliberately create environments where relationships can thrive. We embrace people. Catalyst number two is apply truth. And here's what that means. We are passionate about applying biblical truth so that it makes a difference in how we live. And we enthusiastically pursue practical teaching. And that's what we're engaging in right now on a Sunday morning. We're trying to be as practical as we can be. So we engage in practical teaching and the pursuit of private spiritual disciplines on our own from Monday to Saturday because practical teaching on a Sunday can only carry us so far. It can only give us so much food, and we have to supplement that with private spiritual disciplines. So last week I gave out some homework, 
We were supposed to memorize Psalm 19:14, and if you weren't here last week, then you get a pass on this. You don't have to worry about this, but if you were here, we're going to say that now, okay? And I'm going to test and see how well you did on your private spiritual disciplines in the week. And it's not even on the screen. So here we go. Are we ready? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my... All right. Uh, Let's try that again, all right? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's a really simple piece of scripture to memorize. And if you did that, I hope you found that having some meaning and significance in your life this week with whatever you had to walk through. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart just be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord. That's a private spiritual discipline. Many of you also walked or drove over to the Bethel Road campus last week and walked through the five different prayer stations where we took some time to just engage in the private spiritual discipline of prayer. And we got to pray for what God is doing in the life of our church for a permanent and a real home. And if you had the chance to do that, I hope you found meaning and significance in saying prayers and reciting those things. Those are private spiritual disciplines that are great things to implement in our lives. So these two faith catalysts embrace people. We welcome, include, and love people without expecting anything in return. And then let's apply truth. Let's get here for a practical teaching and then engage in these private spiritual disciplines. And what we've been saying is let's do these things. Let's just not talk about how we need to embrace people and love people. Let's do more than just talk about that. Let's do more than just talk about engaging in private spiritual disciplines. Let's actually do these things because they can be a catalyst for the faith in our lives. So are you ready for faith catalyst number three? Here it is, live generously. And guess what our big idea is? It's the same thing, live generously. No surprises there. So here's what that means. If we're going to live generously, here's kind of the definition. Here's how we're responding to that. It means we intentionally use our time and resources to meet needs in our local community and around the world. And we purposely invite many to personally invest in serving others, all right? We intentionally use our time and our resources to meet needs in our local community and also around the world. We want to be super intentional about doing that. And we also want to purposely invite many to personally invest in serving others. So there's really two parts to this. There's the time piece, meaning I give my time to God's work. And then there's also the resources piece, or my money, meaning I give my money to God's work. What's God's work? Well, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's my work. That's what I want you to do. That's what I want you to accomplish. Go into all of the world and preach the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news, that Jesus came and he died and he rose again, paying the price for our sins And we can have a forever friendship with him. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And we now have this opportunity to use our time 
and our resources, yes, our money to help accomplish God's work. So think about this. I have a critical role to play in the big story of God. I want you to personalize that for a moment. You insert your name in there. I, Eric, I, put your name there. Have a critical role to play in the big story of God where I get the humbling opportunity and the amazing privilege to use not just my time, but also my money so that the gospel can go forward. It's kind of a humbling thing to think about. My time and my resources, my money. So let's think about time for a moment. And let me ask you, are you using your time for God's work? Now, some people have more time than others due to a variety of circumstances. And this isn't an issue of how much time, but just time. Are you using some of your time to accomplish God's work? If not, fix it. And that's kind of an easy thing to fix. And one of the things that I am so encouraged about here at Valley Point is I see many women and men and students and children freely being generous with their time so that the work of God can go forward in this place and we all have the opportunity to share the gospel. People roll in here every Sunday morning at 5.30 a.m. That's shocking to me, right? They come in at 5.30 and they unload trailers because this isn't our property. So we've got to bring everything you see into this place. And so at 5.30 a.m., there are servants who come and they unroll all of those carts and they unpack all of that stuff and they begin to set up things in our lobby and in our children's environments and they make warm coffee for us to enjoy And that's an amazing group of servants who do that each and every week. And then there are people who inconvenience themselves and their families and their time by staying late afterwards because we got to pack all of that stuff back up and put it back into these carts and roll them back into trailers. And this is just an amazing group of people who freely and generously give of their time. It's amazing. People generously give of their time so that our children can be taken care of while we're here in this environment thinking about what God wants to say to us and they freely give of that time. Many women and men inside of this place and outside of this place freely give of their time and they're generous with that. And if that's you, if you give of your time, I want to let you know that God is using you, even when it doesn't feel like it, right? Because sometimes it doesn't feel like God is using us. When I'm pushing a cart or when I'm setting up a coffee station, yes, God is using you. When you're teaching kids and sharing a virtue with them, God is using you. When you come on a Saturday to one of our Love Day events and you give up a couple of hours of your time to repair and restore, God is using you. When you come on a Sunday morning and you bring food items with you, like what we did last week, to give away to the Sunday breakfast mission in Wilmington, God is using you even when it doesn't feel like it. And I know I don't say this enough, but from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you 
for being generous with your time. This is one of our faith catalysts, and we want to see everybody who walks through the doors of this place give some of their time for God's work. So if you're doing that, great job. Great job. And thank you. God is using you to make a difference. There's another part to this, though, that can be much more challenging to talk about and to become generous with, and that's our money. So we're going to just jump in and talk about money. You know, here's some interesting observations. If you walk through the pages of Scripture, you will find that there are over 800 different passages that deal specifically with money. 800 different verses. That's a lot of Scripture that deals with management and stewardship and with money. Just a lot of verses. There's also something else that's interesting. Jesus, while he was here on earth, actually talked more about money than any other topic. And sometimes that's a surprising thing to think about. You mean Jesus talked more about money than heaven? Yes. Jesus talked more about money than hell? Yeah, he actually did. Jesus talked more about money than loving your neighbor as yourself? He did. And why? Why would Jesus take so much time to talk about this particular topic? Here's why. It's because money is a window into our soul. Follow the money. And what you give your money to is what you will give your heart to. And here's what's great. The Bible doesn't have a complicated, hard-to-understand formula for managing money. Maybe you've never heard some of this before. I just want you to know the Bible isn't really hard to understand. It's not complicated when it comes to managing your money. It's pretty simple, really. And so if you've heard some of this stuff before, I just want to encourage you to think about what you are doing with God's money. What are you doing with that? If you've never heard this before and you're starting to feel uncomfortable, like, what is this all about, and this is kind of weird and strange, I just want to encourage you to hear all of this out, okay? So, again, the Bible doesn't have a complicated, hard-to-understand formula when it comes to managing money. Here's the formula. Here's kind of the theme, and that is God owns it all. God owns it all. That's it. That's the theme, that's the formula, that God owns it all. And if that's the case, which it is, then that implies a couple of things for us. First of all, it implies that my money isn't really mine. It doesn't belong to me. We're quick to say that, right? Like, this is my money. I have some kids, and Kids are expensive, and they like things, and they want things for school, and they often come and say, hey, will you buy this pair of shoes, or will you buy this yearbook, or will you buy this helmet? And I'm like, I'm not using my money for that. You're going to have to use your money. Well, if God owns it all, guess what? It's not actually my money. It belongs to him. And the second implication is that God expects us to manage the money that he's given to us. So I don't own anything at all, actually. It belongs to God. And he now simply expects me to manage the money that he's given to me. And here's what we know about God. Like, no one is going to argue with this. Everybody gets this for the most part. Everybody understands this. God is very generous. 
Not too many people are going to argue with that. Not too many people are going to debate that. One of the things we understand about God is that he is very generous, and I am absolutely convinced that he wants generosity with our time and with our money to mark his people. I'm just convinced. God wants generosity to mark his people. And so I want to think about that for a moment. And let's ask a question or two. What does it look like if extravagant generosity marked God's people? I mean, what could happen? What would that look like? And then let's take that a step further. What would it look like if extravagant generosity marked Valley Point Church? What would that look like? Well, we have a paragraph of Scripture that actually defines some of this. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You'll also find these words on the screen. And here we find the Apostle Paul and he's an author in Scripture, and he's writing to a particular church, and he's challenging them. It's the church in Corinth, and he begins to use the example of another church to say, hey, here's what they're doing. Here's what they've accomplished. Here's what they've done, and I want you to follow their example. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Now, Macedonia was basically an impoverished area and was ravaged by war, just a place that was plundered. It was not a destination. So nobody was saying back in the day, hey, let's pack up the car and let's go hang out in Macedonia. Nobody did that because they were just an impoverished area. Verse 2 says they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. Now, do you see the word poor in verse 2? The idea of the word poor there in the original language means that they experienced the worst kind of economic deprivation. I mean, they were poor. There's poor, and then there's really poor. And they were really poor. I mean, they were ravaged by war. And they had an economic deprivation that is even hard to describe But, it says here, they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed into rich generosity. You see that word abundant there? It actually means surplus. So this is kind of a crazy thing that's happening here. Here is a church in a province that is impoverished and ravaged by war and has the worst kind of economic situation possible. They don't have anything at all. They are very poor, and yet they have a surplus of joy. Like, that doesn't make sense, because most of the time when we're not feeling good about our economic situation, we don't have joy about that, do we? You can agree with me. It's okay. You know, we're not really happy about that. We tend to be upset and sad and down. But yet here is a group in a particular area that had the worst kind of economic situation, and yet in the middle of that, it says here that they had a surplus of joy, and the result of that is that it overflowed in rich generosity. It's talking about money. Verse 3, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege 
of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving, since you... All right, so Paul now is reversing the situation here, and he's talking to the church in Corinth, not about the church in Macedonia anymore. He's talking specifically to them, and he says, since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. And verse 9 says something amazing. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. So here's what's happening in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. There's a church in Jerusalem that had some real financial need. And so Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says to them, I want you to think about the church in Macedonia. They are very, very poor, and yet somehow... In that economic situation, they have gathered some resources to send to the church in Jerusalem, who is also poor. And you, church in Corinth, I mean, you're pretty amazing. You excel in a lot of areas. You are a great church. You are an amazing church. You're doing some wonderful things. Go, church, is what Paul was saying there. But then he also said to them, here's what I want for you not looking for something from you, but what I want for you is that you would excel in this gracious act of giving as well. You're good in a lot of areas. You excel at a lot of things, but I want you to excel over here too and consider what the Macedonians are doing. Though they are poor, they are rich in their generosity. Now, I'm the first person to admit that we are not a perfect church. And if you're here for the first time, Know that we are not perfect. I'm not a perfect individual. I'm not a perfect leader. I mess up and I screw up. And we are a church, a faith community that is really filled with imperfect people who are trying to live out these faith catalysts. So I'm not a perfect person and we are not a perfect church. But I do think, having said that, that we do excel in some areas, which is very encouraging. I think we excel in how we treat people and how we embrace people. I think we excel in our compassion trips. I think we excel in serving our community. And it is not hard for me at all, by any means, to stand up and say, guess what? The Sunday breakfast mission needs a lot of food to give out to people who are in real need. Let's collect a bunch of food and let's give it to them. Or let's go out on a Saturday and let's repair and restore and let's clean and let's do things like that. It's not hard for me to stand up and say that at all. And guess what happens? And we get a crowd that comes out for those types of things. And that is just incredible. And that is amazing. And I find that to be an encouraging thing about Valley Point Church. Just recently, guess what we did? We went to a football field right here in Garnet Valley at the high school. That's not too far from here. And we cleaned up after a football game. 
and it was a Friday night. There were even couples that were there. Friday night's a date night, isn't it? Like, so they're not out on a date. They're generously giving of their time, and they're meeting around hot dog wrappers and picking up, and we're repairing and restoring, and that was just a great night for us. Just last Sunday, we collected food for the Sunday breakfast mission, and we had a great response to that, and I want to thank you for those of you who generously gave of what you have to share with others. And when they came to pick up the items on Monday at the Bethel Road campus, they were really excited, and we filled up more than what they anticipated. And I love those conversations, and I normally get to be on the front row of having people thank me for your generosity, and they get amazed by that and blown away that our people gave more than what they anticipated, and we excel in those types of things. Just last week, we had over 50% of our Sunday morning crowd drive over to the Bethel Road campus and engage in a prayer walk. And I want to thank you for those of you who participated in that. And I hope you had a wonderful time with that private spiritual discipline. So cleaning up and repairing and restoring and these private disciplines, that's all great. But I believe God wants us And God is calling us as a church to also excel in this gracious act of giving. And that all begins, that all starts when I understand who the real owner of my stuff is. My time and my money. And scripture makes it pretty clear that I'm not the owner. God actually is. I do think we're a very generous church. And you can even look in the program and we put our weekly financial need there and you can see that we're on budget. And we're more than halfway through November, the end of the year is coming. And I want to let you know, because I have a lot of conversations with other pastors and other churches, that's unusual for church to be on budget. That's just a wonderful thing. And so I want to take this opportunity and thank you personally for your generosity that is enabling us to be on budget and empowering us to involve and involve ourselves and and go out and share the gospel and make sure that it goes forward. But I also believe that we can do better. I think it's true. So let me ask the question again. What would it look like if extravagant generosity marked Valley Point Church? I don't know entirely. But I started to dream a little bit, and so I created a little list of what it might look like if extravagant generosity marked this place. And so I want to paint some big strokes here of what could possibly happen if God really captured all of us. Maybe it looks like this. Maybe the 30, the 40 people that are going to the Dominican Republic in February don't have to raise any money of their own or even pay their own way We as a generous church just decide, we want you to go. We want you to be on mission. We want you to go and spend a week and repair and restore. And so just go. And we actually have all of the funding to do that. You go. You be our missionary in that place and love God's people there and help them in any way possible. Maybe it looks like that. Maybe we can purchase more property to give to city team in Chester 
so that they can engage in more work in recovery programs and feeding people and providing housing for those who are not able to find that on their own. And they're just not able to go out and purchase more property because they don't have that type of funding. But what if extravagant generosity marked this place to where we said, is that what you need, city team? We've got it. We'll be right there. And we're going to help you out in your efforts to repair and restore. Maybe we can partner with the Delaware County Pregnancy Center in Chester and help them get the most up-to-date medical equipment so that they can serve families making decisions and choices about what they want to do with their children. And instead of using old, outdated equipment, maybe we could say, we want to give you the very best of the best so that you can help people make great choices when it comes to that issue in their life. And so we're going to give this to you. Maybe we can build a real home on our Bethel Road campus debt-free on day one. Maybe we can fully fund feeding centers in and around Smolensk, Russia. And when they say, it's time for us to open up another place so that we can serve these orphans who have no parents at all, we raise our hand and say, we can do that. We can help you with that. And here it comes. Maybe we can make a significant difference in the human sex trafficking that happens close to the front doors of this building where we partner with other agencies and other individuals and say, here, take this, because we believe it will help bring dignity to humans who are being abused and tortured and find themselves in slavery minutes from this place. Maybe we can... What do you dream about? If extravagant generosity marked Valley Point Church, the most up-to-date information tells us that the average person in the average church in America gives about 3% of their income to that church so that God's work can go forward. And 3%, that's kind of a good thing. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting stat, and so I began to do more research. And one of the things that God is looking for from all of us is to evaluate what we're doing with our own levels of generosity, with our time and also with our money. And throughout Scripture, you find God challenging us to give up to 10% and beyond of our income to God's work. That's called the tithe. And the tithe means 10%. And there's nothing magical about that amount. There's nothing magical about that percentage, but I do believe it is something that makes God happy and allows us to hold with open hands what already belongs to God. So average person in the average American church gives about 3%. So I thought that was interesting, and I did some research. What about non-churched individuals? Certainly, churched people are touched by the hand of God, and they're trying to follow Him and please Him, so certainly they're pretty generous What about non-churched individuals? And so I did some research and I discovered that 89% of American homes that would consider themselves non-churched also give to charitable organizations. I thought, well, that's great. That's a really high percentage. And I discovered that they also give about 3% of their income to those charitable causes. And so inside the church, 3%. Outside the church, about 3%. So I wanted to do some more research, and I asked the question, what about Valley Point Church? Because we're really generous, and so I was able to input some information about us. 
And that analysis told me that we're about right there at 3%. So we're average. I don't like being average, personally. And I don't think God has called us to be an average faith community when it comes to the area of our generosity with our time or with our money. As a matter of fact, I think God has called us specifically to be an above-average faith community because we excel at so many things. God is using us to have impact. And what if extravagant generosity marked us? I found this quote from an author and teacher that says this. Here's a scary thought. What if God called you to give beyond your comfort level? Would you be afraid? Would you try to explain it away or dismiss it as impractical? And in the process, would you miss out on a harvest opportunity for which God had explicitly prospered you in the first place? Often, stepping outside your comfort zone is not a careless irresponsibility, but a necessary act of obedience. A lot of truth packed into that. And so let me share some practical takeaways with us. Here's number one. We are called to manage God's money. That's our calling. It's not ours. It's God. And maybe the best thing for you to do today is just to remind yourself that I manage what God has given to me and it's not mine. And I would encourage everybody just to evaluate your own levels of generosity. Look, God's going to speak to everybody in a different way and that's fine. Nobody's being forced to do anything at all. We just want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to think about what is God whispering into your heart right now about your own levels of generosity. And I would also encourage you to have a deep conversation with God today about this. Because maybe, just maybe, God is calling some of you up into that 10% area or beyond. And if that's what God is planting in your heart, if that's what God is whispering to you, then I would encourage you to give it a shot. From now to the end of the year, just try it and see what happens. Watch the flow and see what God does for you. Because... Often stepping outside your comfort zone is not a careless irresponsibility. See, often we think that, right? If I give more away, that's irresponsible and there's less for me. And we have the scarcity mentality where God talks about abundance and abundance that comes with generosity. So often stepping outside our comfort zones, it's not careless, but a necessary act of obedience. So let's just all remind ourselves today. It's not really mine. It's God's. And what is he asking of me? What is my next step in this area of generosity? And then secondly, take a look at your fists. What's the posture there when it comes to the money that God has given you to manage? I think something sad happens when we get confused about who the owner is. We go from open hands God, it's all yours. You, you do what you want with it to closed fists and we begin to pull everything in because we fear there's not going to be enough for me and there's not going to be enough for my family and we miss out on the amazing joy of generosity when we have open hands. So it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. So let's live generously. Let's do that.
Father, we thank you for these moments to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and there's just an amazing challenge there to really look deep within and have a conversation with you. And so, God, as I give this challenge, I'm evaluating my own levels of generosity. And I know I don't always get it right, and I'm not perfect. And, God, I believe that you're calling us as a faith community to be an above-average kind of church, a church that is marked by extravagant generosity. And, God, what could we do? What more could we do? Because we're already excelling in some things. We're already accomplishing some great things. And we're seeing your hand smile upon us. And that is a great feeling. But yet, God, there is room for more. And so I pray that you just challenge all of us to think about how we can take this faith catalyst of living generously with our time and create more time in our schedules that that's become a challenge for us so that we can see the work of the gospel go forward. But God, help us to also evaluate this area of our resources and our money and think about what next step is there for us so that your work can go forward through the church that you have called to be a bright light in this community and around the world. So God, just challenge us. Help us to respond in the right way and help us to be open to everything that you're whispering into our lives. We thank you for this challenge from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. God, use it in our lives to help us live generously. We pray this in Jesus' name. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.